Welcome back to Association Data Points, where we discuss associations, nonprofits, data, and the people behind the numbers. I'm Erin Peters, here with my co-host, Brian Seabacher. Hello, Erin. Hi, Brian. We're excited to bring a new series to you today. This is called Talk Amongst Yourselves. Yes, yes. Uh, sometimes you don't get a guest for your podcast, but luckily we have each other, so... It makes for a good conversation, and I, I think we've got uh, we, we have some interesting things to discuss today. I agree. I recently read an article called Corporate Jargon is Damaging Your Business by Michael Blazik. He wrote this in 2022, and it's about sort of this jargon that just fills our lives, and people may not know about it. They might not know what it means, and they might feel excluded. Ah, uh, jargon. That's... Uh... This is my life. I, I, I've worked in the tech field for over 20 years, and uh, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of terminology and quite a bit of jargon. There definitely is. This made me think back to um, a few years ago when I first started here. In meetings, I would write down, I had a legal pad to my right on my desk, and I just would make a list. Every time I heard a term, I didn't know what it meant or the context of it. I would write it down, so, and I found I was repeating a lot of the words. So how much of that was jargon that was unique to this organization versus what was part of the field? Did you get a feel for that down the road or is that? Uh... Yes, the majority, majority of it was unique to this organization. Okay, so. And I would say a lot of, a lot of tech, technological speak. So kind of like being on the, the Starship Enterprise for the first time or something. I, you know, SAS, Tokens, um, oh. yeah. Yeah, rolls off the tongue, doesn't it, it? It really does. Data lakes. At least they're short. It's it's true, but boy, there's a lot of acronyms and um, even catching the context yeah. in, in which these terms were used. Lots of TLAs. What's a TLA? Three-letter acronym. Oh, see? There yeah, you, you just drop them right in. I, I saw there's jokes about mm. these things. It's This field is rife with that, and... As many are, but uh, especially technology. Mm -hmm. And I do notice sometimes I, I, you know, will listen to myself when I'm speaking, and I've definitely adopted some of this terminology. To go back to your your previous question, there's also a business side to this where I had to learn that terminology as well. This is the first time I've worked in the for-profit sector and in in a business, so a lot of that was new to me also. Uh. Yeah, stepping into my role got me introduced to that a few years ago. I, I, I was not responsible for the finance side or the strategy side, and you have all new acronyms there, all new terms and kind of a, a new language to learn. Yeah, um, in his article, Michael Blazik talks about this. He says, one thing in particular that we have all been dreading is the feeling of utter bewilderment and exasperation when colleagues spout buzzwords and phrases, and then he gives some nice examples here, like paradigm shift, oh. low-hanging fruit, and thinking outside the box. Yeah, I feel like you're, you know, this is like a KTEL Records thing with the crawl of like all the greatest hits just going past, and I, I've used them myself. I've, uh, I hear them spouted to me. I've Thing, take, things getting taken to the next level, giving 110%. One time I even thought about like, it would be great to make like a, a corporate mission statement generator that just did nothing but put these things in a string in like one sentence. Like we, we are committed to giving 110%, going the extra mile and 
taking it to the next level. I mean, you could string these for for quite a while before someone even realized, like, uh, what are we talking about? Right. And he says here that, and I was surprised to hear this, corporate jargon, again, this is from Blazik's article, corporate jargon hasn't been around that long, a little over 50 years to be precise. Yeah. Just 50 years. Yes. How do people talk before this? (laughs) Right. Well, probably in plain language, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit here. Companies began to take an interest in how to help employees become more productive, efficient, and engaged, and as a result, started using more colorful language through various buzzwords with the hope of inspiring their staff and giving them more drive and purpose. If you look at you know history here, like the 50s and 60s were preceded by the Second World War, that era of time. And I think for a lot of people, this this may have been the first point in history in their lives where they were part of a larger organization, like you know, like the armed forces just swelled in, you know, in size like dramatically in this country. I mean, mm-hmm. also in other parts of the world. So it, it wouldn't surprise me that like you know some of the a lot of the world you know there, there was an inflection point and many things changed. And I think the size of organizations and this kind of groupthink and group speak probably was heavily influenced by that period. So it doesn't surprise me that like this would be, you know, the 50s and 60s, you're starting to see, uh, you know, companies like IBM that are coming into the workforce. And this is also the beginning of the computerization age as well. And you, you know, technology is being brought from the public sector in, you know, the war effort into the private sector now for the first time. And that, you know, technology is not simply just machines doing things, it's systems, Mm -hmm. it's organization patterns, it's how do we arrange people to achieve larger goals. Making the case for specialized language, you absolutely have to have it in in any field. Yeah. There's there's going to be specialized language. I've said before, my background is um, as it, like my formal education is as a musician. Highly specialized language, terms from many different uh, different languages, and you learn it, but you have to always be cognizant that there's not a universal or even common understanding. Some very cool looking Italian words that I, I don't know what they mean. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do. They sound even better when you say them. And that's a, that, that's kind of one of the points here then is looking at, okay, this was meant to kind of motivate and inspire, but it didn't really turn out that way. Blazik references a survey by JS3 Global, where it revealed a significant lack of understanding of jargon with only 45% of respondents able to grasp the meaning of various buzzwords. Hmm. He goes on to say, this is especially true for the workforce for whom English is not their first language. In the UK or in London, for instance, 40% of the city's workforce was born outside of the UK. That's huge. That's huge. And think of the, the misunderstanding that you already have from somebody coming in from a different industry like I did. Now layer the entire complexity of, of a different language, different culture. You really you've built up. A... It's just another front and another angle to how diversity works today. As mm-hmm. Different backgrounds have different understandings of the very same words, or maybe no understanding of this. Right. Not surprisingly, employees feel irritated, left out. This leaves them demoralized. 
And then we get into that high employee turnover, draining mm. productivity. And now we've moved on to a host of, of other issues. Downstream effects. So uh, yeah, like, talking about like how this affects us as a company. I'm, we're, we're a very small group. So I mean, we, I, we try to make as much effort as we can to not show that there's, you know, there's no bad, no dumb question here. Just raise your hand and someone will explain to you what it is we're talking about. Uh, but is that the most efficient way to do this? Like, I think we have to assume sometimes people don't really understand. But once they do understand, stopping to explain it every time, that too will become annoying. So I guess you, you know, we have to kind of read the room a little bit. True. And just from my personal experience, I found pretty quickly that just asking for the definitions didn't get me very far. It certainly mm. didn't lead to any sort of long-term memory. So I was asking the same questions quite a bit. It helped to ask different people, but what really was important was dialing in that I, need to, to, I needed to ask about context mm. rather than just, can you define SAS tokens for me? Okay, so wh why do I care about something called a SAS token? It's, does this have, you know, is it sassy? I, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, I wish that was the case. I, someone should have said that, but no, <laughs> they didn't. Uh, oh, yeah. For those at home, a, a SAS token is a piece of, it's basically a, uh, an authorization code that is attached to a request to a certain file service that we use in, in the Microsoft Cloud that uh, enables you to request the access to something with uh, basically a one-time password. And I, I bet I didn't really explain that very well either. Well, I'd like to show off publicly that I have learned something. And if this is incorrect, you can always edit this out. Software as a service. I think it's that- SaaS. That's a different SaaS. Oh my God. That has two A's in it. This one is, uh, I believe, uh, secure access service, or I could even be wrong. So that, that alone is like, how many of these acronyms have passed through my brain in 20 plus mm -hmm. years of doing this? And how many of them stuck? Mm -hmm. like, uh, like what ISDN stands for. I, I, we saw that on a menu a couple of weeks ago. You could honor, oh, really? we were, uh, we were at, uh, at a conference and they said, like, we can bring an ISDN line to your table. Like, okay. Right. Do they even know what that is? Because I, I haven't seen one in, in 20 years. But apparently, maybe in some domain, that is, we really need one of these. Like, mm -hmm. this is the uplink to our, you know, to get the news through. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I believe it is like in your subscriber digital network. I, I, I don't even remember. But, like, why does this matter? At this conference, you had to, and I think like at many conferences, it's a third-party vendor um, that helps with some of the needs for your booth or your exhibiting. So you have to sign if you need extra, um, you know, electrical outlet or things like that. If you didn't know on that menu what ISDN was, you might sign up for the absolute wrong thing. That's a big problem. When you get somewhere, you've paid to exhibit at a show and you have the wrong hookup. Well, it, I, I just looked it up. It's Integrated Services Digital Network. So, What does that mean? Not to put you on the spot. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. The jargon, when you unpack the jargon, has more jargon in it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's a lot now, of words. So now what? It's uh, yeah, we, 
this is a problem for all of us. And I guess we're going to struggle with this because unfortunately there really aren't better terms for these. Like I, I remember hearing a few years ago that uh, there was great concern in France. You know, there's always great concern in France about the maintaining this, you know, the vitality of the French language. Mm -hmm. And they were getting very concerned that a lot of computing terms were coming from English and polluting the French language. Like there wasn't a good French word for something like ISDN. Oh, interesting. And they, you know, I guess the Academy was even, you know, I, I'm not sure how successful they've been with this, but they were introducing new French versions of the same terms just to kind of like keep the, you know, keep the domain here but explain the concept in a more native French context, which I, I think is, it's interesting, I, you know, but it's also going to limit you and like how quickly you can communicate outside of your, your walls. So, and I, I guess, you know, looking at this from a professional angle, I, we, you know, we talk a lot about associations here, obviously. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, for a larger organization, you have this challenge of, you're not just dealing with your internal team, you're dealing with, many, many organizations coming to the table. It's almost like the United Nations in some ways. It's like they're all going to come. We're aligned in a certain interest, but we have to understand what that word means and what these terms mean. Do we have a common understanding of what this term means to this group? And maybe the people around the table have had that for years, and of course we do. But, you know, does the new person sitting down have that? Mm -hmm. Yep, and I think that's, that's something, too, that we get towards that challenge of operational maturity. So you, let's say you, you do have somebody who's been at the company for a while, or you understand the needs of a member company very, very specifically. When there's employee turnover, how transferable is that knowledge or that skill set? Is it codified somewhere? Can you find it? Did that person create any workarounds that made their work possible that you would potentially never know about. Yes, I've, I've, as I'm getting further in my career, and I guess, you know, sadly, as, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to recognize those things more. Like, I, how are we going to bring people along? And how, are, how am I going to transfer what I know? And what, what ways do we onboard people? And you know, even, there's, there's another jargon term, onboard. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think it comes from like bringing people onto an airplane or a, or a boat or something like that's not a bad metaphor. I think, you know, the power we, we've always fallen back on metaphor and things, but if the metaphors don't make sense, then how do we get past that? Right. And it, it's an interesting, and I, I do want to come back to that, that plain language and metaphor and analogy, because I, I have, I have things to say about that, um, as a, as Please a former do. teacher, but looking at, I just want to take a little bit of a left turn into hiring and non-traditional hiring and what that can look like for this. I mean, my example is a great one. I, I was a teacher. I did not work um, in the tech industry at all. In fact, I was, I was pretty scared of technology. Uh, fortunately, when I when I had my second interview here, one of my my colleagues now said to me, "Don't worry about the technology; you'll learn it." And it it was just such a he said it so confidently um, that it made me feel okay about it. And then I think at some point, Brian, you said to me, "You're not going to break anything," no. and so it's okay. 
try and figure things out. No, and so far you haven't broken anything. Not yet, but I, you know, days young. (laughs) Absolutely, that's what we have to, the technology is a tool, and I, I think the technology, though, is so pervasive and so such a big part of what we do here and in so many other organizations that uh, people are very intimidated by those things. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and having the conversation of why do we use the technology? So, uh, Brian, you said understanding the why yes. is what's really important. Yeah, and that that is kind of one of the the secrets to like getting around the jargon is like, let's remember, why did we even put this in a computer? It's because everything's in a computer. Well, there's, you know, there's easy reasons. And then there's the, like, what are we trying to accomplish? What are our customers trying to accomplish? Uh, you know, those, if you can understand those things, the hows come and go. These are means to an end. These are tools. Once upon a time, there were all kinds of filing cabinets full of papers and mm-hmm. systems put in place. It wasn't just the t- it wasn't just the paper. It was like we had the Dewey Decimal System. We have a card catalog. You know, think of like going to the library when I was growing up. That was, you know, getting to learn how the card catalog works. And like there was a lot of controversy about the Dewey Decimal System. It's like, is this the best way to organize information, or are we putting bias into this? Like a lot of people mm-hmm. doing hand wringing over this stuff. But ultimately, it was it was a system. Mm-hmm. Could there be a better system? Yeah, probably, but it's a system. At least there's something here, and that's how we fit people in, and that's how we onboard, and how we you know bring people into the tribe. Sort of, you know, we you know, that we have something, and hopefully, you know, as these things improve, we can onboard quicker or widen what we're doing, and that's. That's important, but I think that's, you know, ultimately it has to serve the why. It's like we needed mm-hmm. to find where the books on on Roman history were. It's like, okay, so they go over here, and they're in the 800s. I'm, don't quote me on that one, but I never worked at a library. Yeah, but I, but the why, going really, really um, to the, the common denominator there, because early on in our country, they said knowledge, education, needs to be free, compulsory, available to all. And so that's the why of that. I, I like the term you use, the hand wringing over it, because it does bring to mind, I think the why for that is the, an accessibility issue. We yeah. want people to use resources because it always comes back to the people. So that's a great example of systems management. Um, how can we best serve people? And so turning this concept of jargon the other way now we work in our shop we have a lot of technical jargon we use some business jargon but when we meet with people who do not work with us every day and we're explaining what we do services we offer i think it's important to think of that in a in a slightly different language it's critical to do that because we are not going to reach them and our message will bounce right off of them Mm -hmm. if we just lead with the jargon. They're going to say, oh, those are smart people and I don't really understand what they're talking about. I'll move on. Right? Yes. At best, they'll say that. At worst, it's this is, you have to know so much to be able to work with them. It'll feel exclusive. And their world comes with its own jargon. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes they're going to echo that back to you and you're going to have a hard time understanding them. Mm -hmm. And that's getting into um, this culture in your workplace. Are you fostering a culture where people, regardless of the amount of time they have worked somewhere, feel free and safe to ask questions, even if they've asked them before? Again, there's always like, you know, an outlier if they've asked the same thing 14 times in the same way. That's, that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're continuing to dig deeper, they're, they're looking at context, and they're starting to link ideas, I think that's where the real learning starts to happen, is they'll say, okay, I basically know this definition. I see where it functions in this context, and I see how it functions within the larger why of what we're doing. I also think there's the humility of the person under who knows the knows what this means. That new perspective might open up your own understanding as well. Like they looked at this with completely new eyes mm-hmm. and brought this like, oh, why why do you do it that way? It's like, well, we've kind of always done it that way. But that, that's rarely a great reason. If you can if if you can justify these things, I, there's there's something called the five whys analysis. This was a hmm. this was a kind of a management technique used at uh, Toyota. I've been using the '60s, and just asking, you know, you should be within like five why is that questions of understanding the root cause of anything, and that's uh, that you know that deductive reasoning piece of like what so why do we do it this way? Well, we established this system. Well, why did we do that? Uh, we you know, and so on. You can follow that down to the root and you can occasionally you can find like new insights from that or understand like, well, you know, this is not the best process. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we need to improve things here so that the next time someone comes on board, we don't have to struggle to figure this out. Like systems decay and atrophy all the time. So I think, you know, that new perspective is, it's an opportunity for everyone to improve, I oh, think. definitely. And they've almost, it's, they've handed you on a silver platter a, a chance to examine your objectives with which you started. Maybe your objectives have shifted yeah. slightly or, or largely, and then that can move you into the discussion of the technologies you want to maintain and technologies you might look to adapt or you know, move to something different altogether. Um, so what I'm hearing is toddlers are really onto something with they the why. Be. Why? They're mm-hmm. you know, just think of like how much you learn from birth till age ten. Mm-hmm. Just how much change that person goes through. Yeah. Like you will never grow that fast again. Right, and that's that inquisitive nature. Is nothing has has really stunted that. Why? Why? Right. Why? Yeah, yes, I'm, that's, that's familiar. Uh, yeah. Remember how you feel as the parent or as the as the older person in that conversation and how it kind of grates at times. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it is exhausting to yeah. answer the whys. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't even want to do it because right. it's just I, I don't have it right now. Mm-hmm. So I guess being mindful of that and understanding where this comes from and that we're trying to people are trying to learn. And I think, you know, Ultimately, this is about having learning organizations that can advance. Yes. And if, if you have one like that and a culture like that, occasionally things are going to get gummed up in the why conversation. But it's this is where the value is and this is how people can be pulled in. And it's, you know, I think it's worth the effort. Definitely. And and 
sort of working through that organic apprenticeship style learning, getting through the whys and having some discourse about those is um, that that learning opportunity for both people is is very rich. And could something come out of that? Like when we're done with the whys, is it okay? now I know the jargon and I can just speak it as well as you can. I mean, well, maybe, but maybe we need to look a little further. And I think the opportunity to learn on both sides and shape that culture of being inquisitive and, and questioning is what's really going to be helpful, you know, taking it back to when we're, we're talking to people with whom we, we don't work every day or people for whom we're, we're helping discover solutions. We have to be comfortable asking them when they're talking about something that's maybe a little niche or jargony in their work. What, is, what does that mean when you say that? What does that word mean? Mm-hmm. And be comfortable with that. It's, it's one of the most effective tools in teaching um, is to say, let's learn about that together because I don't know. And it just, it shows this great, like I want to work with people who say, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, let's find out. It's kind of the spirit of the work of data too. Like we, we want to get more information and see what that tells us. Mm-hmm. We put these facts together and we add these things up and we suddenly we have new insight. And that's, that's the really cool stuff about what we do. You know, it's like, and that's why we, with this show, we, we kind of want to talk about like the why behind that. Why is that? Why, why do the people care about this? Right. So. so looking at sort of what can you do now, we're, we're on this uh, culture discussion. So we've, we've talked about that foster this this culture of um, questioning, inquisitiveness, working together to um, learn, essentially, regardless of how long somebody has been in a company. The other uh, technique that I think is important is this idea of adopting plain language and not falling into jargon because it sounds really good or that's what you've always used. The use of analogies is really important here. I know that's been important for me at this company, and sometimes they're pretty off the wall, but um, I largely, when I've when I've had to use them, the people with whom I'm speaking eventually nod their head and say, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Yeah, because you're finding this common denominator of understanding and experience that can help you to solidify the concept of, of what you're, um, of what you're talking about. And to give an example of that, we were recently, um, we're working on a exciting new product here and service. And part of that work is to make different data sources talk to each other. Is yeah. that a good way to say that? I think it's, you know, relating things to other things that's mm-hmm. through these connections. That's, this is, like why I found the internet so interesting in the nineties was you get to a place and you learn another fact and there's another link and you can go there and mm-hmm. read about that. And then you find it, it's just traversing this like endless graph of places to go. And, you know, how does this correlate to this, to this, to this, mm-hmm. you know, the, following those links that, that really is how, you know, I, I think we, we can find new insights into things. So finding data that can go with other data, really cool stuff. Right. And in this case, that where I sort of started to lose the thread a little bit on the actual 
um, tactical side of that was we were working with data sources that were in different formats. So trying to put them together to, to allow them to, to articulate and align. Yes. And so I, I basically understood it, but again, for me, it was saying, oh, so it's like you're trying to make salt water and river water play nicely together. And there's going to have to be some adjustments made there. And I think it was, you know, again, one of those moments where yeah, people might have been like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes if sense. If that helps you understand. And, I and think, it does. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. where, you know, different people are going to have things like, oh, it's just like this. Like, yeah, and you may not even know what that is, but mm-hmm. it's like it, we, we got there. That's good. Right. That's yeah. the important part. Yeah. So common understanding. That's... Uh, that sounds good to me. I think that's a show. I think so. All right. We'll that's catch you next time. Thanks, Brian. Association Data Points is brought to you by Hargrove and Associates. Since 1985, we've helped associations serve their most critical member data needs by collecting, producing, and delivering exclusive market information. You can visit us online at hargrovedata.com. <laughs>